Uh-oh. All right, sweet. Um, if you want to turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 16, it's where we're going to land tonight. Hey, everybody. How you doing? Um, how many of you uh, growing up had a friend that tried to buy your friendship or had a kid in your neighborhood that tried to buy your friendship? Like they were the ones that always had something. Um, how many of you were that kid? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing to be the kid that has, you know, I decided at, at, at one point in college that I would have a gum ministry. Not gun, but gum, like chewing gum ministry. And I, I made it my mission to always have a stick of gum available for anybody who needed gum. And, uh, you know, whenever I take it, you know how it works, right? Whenever you take one out, everybody's like, can I have one too? And uh, I had a friend that wanted to copy my ministry, and so she decided to have a paperclip ministry. Uh, this was back when we turned in actual, literal, physical papers in college. Actually, it was a horrible idea. Yeah, it wasn't a very effective ministry. A lot more people came to Jesus through gum than paperclips. I'm just kidding. I don't take any credit for uh, re- leading anybody to Jesus through gum. Uh, but what I'm saying is this. Sometimes we're, in our lives, we're tempted to buy friends or buy influence, or we have that kid in our neighborhood who does that. Do you know there's actually a website uh, called rentafriend.com? Literally. And it's set up, it's set up for, well, listen, you can do something about it. You can sign up to be one of those friends. Did you know that? So it's called rentafriend.com. I'm not recommending you do it. I don't know anything about it. Like, they seem on the up and up. They, like, you know, they take people off the platform if they try anything, like, romantic or otherwise. But it's literally, like, and it's made so that they vet people. And in any city you go to, you can just, uh, you know, call them up or make arrangements and have a friend. And so, like, some people uh, use it this way. Uh, they go to a new city, and they want to know what that city's about. I think if you came to Buffalo and you rented me as a friend, you would know Buffalo when you were done. <laughs> right? It would take a while, but like if we just hung out for a day, we could do some serious buffalo damage, right? Um, or, or just sometimes, like, there's a guy uh, that I read about it. They did an interview with him. He's like, listen, like, I travel a lot, and I, I just hate eating alone. Like, I can't stand eating alone. I just don't think that's something anybody should have to do. Now, me, on the other hand, <laughs> like, if, if I had my way, like, just selfishly, like, I'd go to a restaurant by myself with a newspaper every day. What's up, JJ? And I would just do my thing, right? And so um, there's this website called rentafriend.com. And I think sometimes we look at that and we're kind of like sad for these people, right? It's sad when we need to buy our friends or it's sad when we need stuff to attract people to us. But I think it's even sadder if we allow ourselves to be purchased, right? Like here's the great thing about rentafriend.com. Most of the people who are on there actually waive the fee, they're like, like, I'm not in this to make money. I'm, I'm in this to actually be friendly to people. Um, I want to talk about that uh, tonight um, because I think that these kids who rented, who rented their friends or these kids who bought their friends were actually onto something spiritual and scriptural, and I want to talk about that tonight. I want to do that by looking at sort of a strange parable that Jesus talked about. But as we get ready to do that, I want to just kind of give us a framework of where we're at. How many of you are here this weekend for any of the men's conference, the women's night, or uh, Sunday? How many of you were just, like, your socks were blessed off? I'm glad you found new pairs. It's cold. 
Um, but I, I just want to encourage you to not leave what God did in the sanctuary or at that conference in, in its place, but like take that with you. We were equipped with stuff to walk it out, so I want to encourage you to do that. But we're in a series, before uh, Pastor Ivy came to preach on Sunday, we were in a series called Cash Rules. And the truth that we had discovered in the very first uh, uh, talk about this was this, that money by default will rule us. Just the, w- the way money is set up and the way human beings are and the way that we, in our nature, if we, if we don't do something about it, by default, money will rule over us. Remember that? So it, it's not a neutral thing. It should be and it can be a neutral thing, but it, by default, wants to rule over us. In other words, Jesus said it this way, uh, you can't serve both God and money, right? And so he actually identified money as a God that we can actually end up serving that rules over us. But by God's grace... We can choose to have money serve us because of what God has done. If we understand the universe and the way he has created wealth and resources, we're going to talk about that. That's our main kind of idea. Last, week we, or last time we talked about this, we talked about this idea, that money and the heart are connected, right? How, how, how we spend our money, how we take care of our resources, how we distribute those resources that God has given us is actually connected to our heart. And we want to make sure that we understand that because it's important for where we're going. So let's take a look at this parable. Uh, it caught me as a little bit strange. I want to read it and catch you as strange. You might have great spiritual wisdom and understand it, but let's just read it together. And then, uh, and then we'll talk about it. Here's what it says. Chapter 16, verse 1. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day a report came that the manager was wasting the employer's money. So the employer called him in and he said, What's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. So the manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. He's already done. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Is that where that song came from? Anyways. Verse 4. I, uh, I know. How I'll, ensure I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe him? And the man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. And so the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. And how much do you owe my employer? He asked, asked the next man. I owe him 1,000 bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. And the rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true. Remember, this is Jesus telling a story. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of the light. So here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. And then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. If you're faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in large ones. But if you're dishonest in little things, you won't be honest in the greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And you're not, you're not faithful with other people's things. Why should you be trusted with things of your own? And then the scripture that we read last time, no one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. I thought it was an interesting parable that Jesus was telling, because oftentimes we think of the master as the Lord, right? Right? And so if, as we're looking through that, we're thinking, wait a minute. Like, God is okay with dishonesty? Or God is okay with, with a, a person who, um, who works a little bit of, of the system? Now, let's be honest. How many of you are, really are impressed sometimes with someone who works the system? 
remember sitting with somebody sometime, and I won't give a whole lot of context, uh, who was a young person, and they had, um, they were telling me a story over lunch of how they started a illicit marijuana growing practice at their parents' house on the roof in a place where no one could see the plant. Don't get any ideas, like I'm not condoning this. But as this person spun the story and talked about like where the house was and who could see and how they worked all the system and how they made sure that it grew and got the seeds and all this, I'm thinking, this kid's a genius. Like there's, some of you are looking at me like, Pastor, you cannot think that. <laughs> Listen, Jesus, Jesus' parable says it's okay for me to admire his shrewdness. Right, to admire his ingenuity in figuring out a way to do something that was wrong. Now, I'm not, that, that's what rings wrong to us. We're like, wait a minute, Jesus is saying it's okay to do wrong. No, he's not saying it's okay to do wrong, but he's using this, this story to illustrate a principle to us of Scripture. And I want to talk about that today because uh, sometimes when we don't understand it, Jesus is very plain. And we're going to get to that in a minute, but just a couple of observations as we get into it to kind of help us understand what we're looking at. First of all, this is a story that Jesus told his disciples. In other words, this is a story that he told for us. You need to know that if you're a follower of Jesus, this story has meaning for you. The lessons that he's about to drop on us are not for the disciples back then. They're not just for the, the people that were in his hearing. He wasn't, coming, he wasn't teaching the religious leaders or the people of the day necessarily, although there were people that were hearing this with him. He was literally sharing this account for his disciples. There's something for you and I as followers of Jesus that we can gather from what he has to say. The second is this, the Pharisees did actually hear it, but it helped, them to, it helped him to illustrate what he was actually saying. See, there's people around you, look around the room, there are people around you who are Pharisees in this room. Now, how many of you grew up in church, you've been around church long enough to know it's not a good thing to be labeled as a Pharisee, right? In fact, the Pharisees uh, were often criticized and often are criticized um, for being the ones that were the most angry with Jesus, who were the, the ones that really wanted to make sure that he died. And definitely the, the sect was part of his death, but the entire crowd was. What's really interesting is that uh, estimates for how many Pharisees there were at the time of their, the height of their power in Jerusalem was about 6,000. Think about it. Within the first couple weeks of the kingdom of God starting, the amount of people that are in, that are in this new sect that follow Jesus, right, there were 120, 3,000 added, five, or 2,000 added, and, the king, and the, the, they just keep growing. Right away, there, there's competition. Jesus, there's not as much competition. There is competition when Jesus is around, but, and they're afraid of that. That's why they kill him. But right after Jesus leaves, the competition gets stiff, right? And so you have these Pharisees that are actually listening to it. But the truth is this. The Pharisees were actually mixed in with the people of God. If you read, I think it's Acts chapter 14. I should look it up. Maybe I'll have it by the time we get to, th- to Sunday. But I think it's Acts chapter 14. It says, Pharisees who were among the believers. Don't you find that really interesting? Pharisees get a bad rap, but actually the Pharisees were the one that were closest to what we actually believe about God. There were other sects at the time that were political. There were other sects that were more about uh, being in power, more about being, uh, who didn't believe in uh, supernatural things. But the Pharisees believed in supernatural things, and they actually took the, the, the law of God very seriously. Very seriously. In fact, Jesus said at one point, you should be like the Pharisees. You should do what the Pharisees say. You just shouldn't do what they do. 
right? So, so much of the teaching of the Pharisees, Jesus actually gave credence to. And so Jesus is talking to these Pharisees, and he's going after their heart. And the truth is this. There are literally still Pharisees among us today, people who think they understand what God is all about, who are actually just observing their own ideas of religion, and they're putting their own rules on who Jesus is. And it keeps, them, it keeps us, I should say not them, us, it keeps us from understanding who Jesus is and what he wants to get out of it. So as we observe this today, understand that you might even be a Pharisee. But here's the really good news. If you look at the context of this story, the, the story right in front of it is one of, the, one of the most famous accounts that Jesus gives or famous parables or stories that he tells. And it's the story of the lost son or the prodigal son. And here's the great news about it. The, 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 he's telling this to his disciples in explanation of that parable. And, and we know this because there's some words in here that are very similar. He says there, there was a manager who was squandering his master's money. Do you remember what the, what the young son did in the parable of the lost son? He squandered his father's money. The, the, Jesus says the account, he actually squandered his father's money. And then the, the brother, the older brother, when he's giving an account to the dad and getting really ticked off because the dad's actually receiving him back in, he's like, hey, this son of yours squandered your wealth. And he says, I'm prostitutes. Like, I don't know how he knew that. <laughs> but we see this, and we need to understand that, that um, verse 13 and verse 30, you see that in chapter 15. Context is everything. And sometimes, even as sons, and what we need to understand is this, even as sons, sons, daughters, even as managers, even as people who are given things in the kingdom, sometimes we find ourselves absolutely missing the mark. And that can either be really bad news to you or really good news to you. And I propose to you tonight that it's really good news. We can have hope because understand and remember this, God is after your heart first. He's after my heart first. God is not after a group of people that get the religious stuff right. He's not after a group of people who like the older brother, are just always serving in his house and think that they have all the stuff together. Listen, he's going to address behavior. This is not a pass for poor behavior. God is a just God, right? Right? He's a just God, but also understand this. He's also full of mercy and very generous. He's full of mercy and he's very generous. So understand, God is after our hearts. So what's with this God admires the dishonest? the shrewdness or the wise. Because my version said the shrewdness, the NIV version said the shrewdness, the King James version says the wisdom. So Jesus did, there, there's, an, there's an understanding here that the servant who did something wrong actually had wisdom in his wrongness. And here's my proposal to us tonight. Jesus said this, children of the world are more shrewd than children of the light. He said, it is true that, in some ways. Could it be that we have mindsets and heart inclinations, even as children of the light that need shifting? Sometimes we get really wrapped up in, we are right. I am right. I know what this guy or this girl is talking about. I know what I believe. I know what the scripture says. And Jesus is saying, listen, even children of the light need to sometimes learn something from, from some, some example that doesn't have a lot to do with what we think is right. 
And so could we be missing wisdom by maybe being too holy? And what I mean by that is not actually too holy, but thinking we're too holy, right? Being, being too set apart, not really holy, but actually religious. Could it be that there's stuff that we experience, things that we think are right, things that are lines to not cross, separating us from the things that actually matter? So here's the good news. Jesus does not want us to miss it. How many of you know that? Jesus is really good at making sure the people around him don't miss it. And so you're here tonight. And uh, if you come to him with an open heart, he's going to make sure you don't miss it. But here's the even more incredible news. You can come tonight with an absolutely closed off heart. And Jesus is still going to be in this place working till your heart gets it. So I want to encourage you tonight. Just don't make the process painful. Like, let's just stop for a minute and say, God, we give you our hearts. We give you our mindsets. We invite you to challenge us in the way that we think, in the way that we feel, the way that we reason, the way that we even worship you, the way that we think others ought to worship you, what we invite other people into. God, we, Jesus, we invite you to challenge us tonight to give us your heart and your mind because you're good enough to pursue us until we get it. Sound good? All right, sweet. So here's the lesson. Jesus literally says, I love when he does this with confusing things. He literally says, here's what you need to learn. You ready? You ready? All right, sweet. Here's the lesson. Luke 16, 9 through 13. I want to read it again. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your possessions are gone, they'll welcome you into eternal home. Verse 10. If you are faithful in the little things, you'll be faithful in the large ones. But if you're dishonest in the little things, you'll be you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. First thing, first lesson for us is a lesson about worldly resources. Verse 9. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Listen, the worldly resources that God gives us are actually just simply tools. They're tools. And so as much as money wants to reign over us, if we will not allow it to, then it simply becomes a tool. And what's it a tool for? It's a tool to influence people and to win people over. So this is where like those kids that try to buy their friends actually sort of get it. You're looking at me like I'm insane. Jesus said that we ought to use our money to buy influence with people. Does that sound sacrilegious to you? A little bit? Just a little bit? So listen, the things that we've been given, here's, the, here's, here's what makes it a little bit more spiritual and a little bit more palatable for those of us who are very holy. <laughs> the things that God has given us, he's given us to spend on others. They're not just simply to make us feel good or bring us more comfort or make our lives easier. Certainly, certainly money has the ability to do that sometimes and sometimes to our detriment. But the truth is this. If money's going to take its rightful place, it's got to be seen as a tool. And it's not a tool for us. It's a tool for the king and for others. According to the parable of the lost son, the one right before this in chapter 15, that he says this, 
the, the, the master, the father, sorry, the father says this to his oldest son. He said, you have always been with me, and everything I have has always been yours. It's verse 31. When we're with God, when we're in his kingdom, when we're part of his family, Jesus says, God says that we have everything that he has. It's always at our disposal. See, here's the thing. Our mindset of somehow having to earn it or get, that we did earn it is what keeps us from having access to it for the, for the benefit. So we, remember that parable? The young son comes back. The father says, I think Pastor Ivy talked about kill the fatted calf. I've been planning for this. Put the robe on him. Put the ring on him. Put the sandals on him. We're having a party. My son was lost. He's found. Let's, get, let's, let's, let's go. And the older son is outside pouting. Right? He's outside pouting, and the father comes out to talk to him. He's like, what's the deal? He's like, listen, this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, wasted, squandered. He doesn't understand the father's grace. Everything on prostitutes and wild living, and then you bring him back. He's like, I've been with you for years, and, and you haven't given me anything. You haven't even given me a, a goat to celebrate with my friends. And what the father says is, listen, everything I have has always been yours. In other words, the resources that I have have always been yours to use however you need to do what? To literally win your friends over. This kid is pouting because he doesn't understand that God has given him resources for a purpose. They're not, they're not just a hold, and the Father is never withholding those resources. And the truth is this. When we have a mindset that thinks we somehow earned it, see, the son thought he earned it, and he thought the Father should give it to him. He never had the guts to either ask for it or to just assume that he could use it. He just st- stood there waiting for it, waiting for it, and waiting for it. And that mindset kept him from accessing the resources of the Father to literally influence his friends, what Jesus is talking about here. And so Jesus is calling us to change our mindsets, to shift our mindsets. What do we uh, not? What are we not having? What do we not think we have access to that we won't share with other people? See, it's not just always worldly goods, although it is. But we have access to grace. We have access to mercy, right? We have access to to, to righteousness. Right? We, not only for us, but who are, these, who are these resources for? The generosity of our God allows us to share them with other, others. But if we have a mindset that somehow we earn the grace of God, somehow we earn the mercy of God, somehow we earn the righteousness of God, or even the resources, or even the, cel- the favor, or even the ability to celebrate God, what God's doing, if we think we deserve it, then it blocks us off from actually having access to the most powerful parts of it. And so we, we, Jesus is shifting our mindsets because he, he does say this about worldly resources. When they are gone, there is a shelf life of the resources that we have in our lives. How many of you, like, really wanted something? I mean, like, really wanted it. And you, and you got it, and you're like, I'll be satisfied with this. Hold on, I'm going to... Um, I've got I to put an illustration in here. I'm going to share it with you, but I want to make sure I remember it for Sunday. I'm going to tell it myself. All right, this is super embarrassing, but I'll share it anyway. Um, so when Lori and I were first married, uh, our first vacation was our honeymoon together, which is great. The second uh, summer that we were married, Lori said, hey, uh, we're go- we were coming back up to Buffalo. She said, why don't we go for our vacation to Gettysburg? And I was like, I'm so in love with you. <laughs> like, that was such a generous gift to me. Because she agreed to walk around a small city, town, 
full of battlefields and do history things. That's probably how she would have described it. We're just going to do history things. And uh, at that time, I was really into, and this is somewhat embarrassing still too, I was really into historical reenacting. And I was really into uh, what that looked like. And we walked into this one shop, and I, at that point, I did not, I had some in- implements and accoutrements, but I didn't have a gun. How many of you know if you're going to play dress up, you've got to have a gun? Right? If you're a boy and you got, you're going to play dress up, you've you got to have a gun. And so we walked into this one store, and um, they had a bunch of replica weapons that, in my mind, were great-looking replica weapons. In reality, they were pretty cheesy, expensive replica weapons. And I was like, I told myself in my mind, like, if, if I could just have this, I'll be happy. Like, because it can go on my wall, it'll look sweet. Every once in a while when I run around the woods, I can carry it with me. It's, I told you it was embarrassing. Can we just keep it between us? Okay, great. And Sunday. And everybody's Sunday. And I, told, and I told myself this, but I also told my wife this. And she was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So we kept going. And then, do you know Gettysburg is on the way back to where we lived in, outside of Washington, D.C.? And so I thought it was a great idea while she was sleeping to pull off the highway, drive back to that store and buy it. I mean, she wasn't sleeping when I bought it. But, like, I had to have this thing. And I'm like, listen, if we get this, I'll be satisfied. I'll be good. I'm great. No big deal. No problem. I think it was a year later, I needed a real gun. (laughs) Now, you look at me like I'm ridiculous, but how many of us have done this before? We want something. We think it's going to satisfy. We get that thing, and it satisfies for a time. Now, that's, that's a funny way to look at the shelf life of something. Like sometimes we think these things are forever things and the reality is they don't even have a shelf life of a year or or a couple months in our lives. But the truth is this, even the stuff that is the greatest investment, like if you want a gold medal, the gold medal is not going with you when you die. And so the the material resources that God has given us have a shelf life and one of the reasons why they have a shelf life is because God has given them to us to use in the the immediate to, to meet the needs of others and to win influence and to win people to Jesus. That's why he's given us these resources. Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, uh, verses 19, 20, and 21 says this. When he's teaching about money and possessions, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. He says, listen, they have a shelf life, but understand this. We can store our treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. We can use the resources that God's given us to work on heavenly things to store up for ourselves rewards in heaven. And this is really important because we can lead our heart in this. Matthew 6, 21 says, wherever your treasure is there, the desires of your heart will be also. How many of you have struggled before with what, what to do and how to view money? Even now you're sort of struggling with like, how do, like really I'm supposed to use my resources to win friends? Like, this doesn't make sense. Here's the thing. If we believe what God says, we can apply ourselves to this and actually lead our hearts to follow. You can, you can start to, to, to put your treasure in a certain place and your heart actually follows that, the things that you value. And so if we, start to, if we, if we value people, we decide we're going to value influence. We're going to value people. We're going to value winning them to Christ. When we start to put our resources towards that, guess what? Our heart will eventually catch up to that. I firmly believe that with all of my heart. Second thing is this. Jesus says uh, not only 
do we need to use our worldly resources, but we have to understand that it has everything to do with an eternal home. That word eternal home in verse 9 literally means from the beginning of creation tent. So what Jesus is saying is this. If you will use your resources to win influence and friends, they will welcome you into the place that you were created to be and be with God from the beginning of creation. We know this because we've talked about it a lot, but it's worth repeating. We were made for a relationship with God. Right? Right, and these worldly resources are not to win us friends so that we have friends that will give us stuff. Like, he, Jesus uses the illustration, this guy wants a place to live when he doesn't have a job, but he's saying, listen, it's not just about that place, it's actually about an eternal home. And the eternal home that was created for you and for me is with other people who love Jesus, who know that they have been created for relationship with God, and we are in that place, created from the very beginning in tabernacle, in, in meeting, in intimacy with God. The resources actually that we have, physical, literal, passing away resources, have eternal effects in our lives. Does that blow your mind? The food we eat that goes into our refrigerator, then out of our refrigerator, onto the stove, and into our pots and pans, and then onto our plates, and into our stomachs, from our stomachs into the toilet. Like, that food actually that literally has a shelf life of a couple days, and if you're crazy, like maybe a week and a half, right? And if it's potatoes and they don't sprout, because we live in Buffalo and it's cold, like maybe a month or so. I don't know if it's, it's squash through the winter, whatever. But literally has a shelf life that's so finite, actually has the ability to win people to Jesus for eternity. I love in my small group making food for my small group. Because I actually think... I actually think that it affects eternity for my small group. Some of you are like, I don't know. Well, let's see. Haven't tried it. You got it. How many have been to my house for small group? It's worth it. But listen, it's not just about me. Like, that's a joy that I have. But every one of us has been given resources. We can use finite things to win people in. How many of you know a meal opens up people's hearts? Sometimes it makes them sleepy. But it actually opens up people's hearts, and that's true for all of the resources that God has given us. They actually make a difference for eternity, and they make a difference for eternity for us, and they make a difference for eternity for other people. If this is actually true, how would it change the way that we decide to use our resources? If it's actually true, how does this change how we decide to use our resources? I think it changes it pretty radically. All right, understand this. Jesus says, with little faith, you can have big faith. Or sorry, with faith, little things equal big. Here's what I mean by that. How we handle our money is a small thing, but it's not supposed to be a small thing forever. If we understand how, the, the way that God views resources, then we'll be faithful with the little bit that he's given us. And it will lead to a much bigger return on investment than we could ever hope or imagine. Jesus said it this way. He said, um, if you're faithful with little things, you'll be faithful with large ones. It's his plan to give us more. God is actually actively looking to give you more resources. Do you believe that? 
We live in a region that doesn't, doesn't grasp that really well, but I think God is, by his sovereignty, ch- shifting the narrative, changing it for you and for me. He's changing what we believe we have access to. And again, it's not to get a bunch of money so we can roll around like millionaires, right? Like, don't get me wrong, I have a vision someday of having a helicopter. Most, not, like, not to get around, it's mostly to do justice. Like, I want to rappel out of it and, like, kick the bad guys in the teeth, right? Some of you are with me, right? Yeah. Then we're going to need a gun, right? See, it's all connected. But here's the thing. Like, God is looking to pour more into our lives so that we can have more resources to affect his kingdom. He gives us the ability to make money so we can affect his kingdom. It's not so we can have more toys. I'm not saying the toys are bad. I think God wants me to have a gun. But do, you, do you see what I'm saying? It's where's our, what's our heart after? What are we, what are we pursuing? And what, and what do we understand God wanting to pour more into our lives? See, the, the parable, again, of the, of, the, of the lost son, both of the sons had, a, had a, a mindset that kept them from getting more. And here's the good news. The father is actively pursuing both of them. He went outside for his son that was pouting. Right? To tell them everything I have has always been yours. He, when his other son came, he said, come on back in. Let me give you the resources, the things you don't deserve. And So God is so redemptive, and he wants to give us more. We should expect growth in our lives of resources if we'll use them for him. See, all of us have something to manage. You might have, have nothing to manage. You have, if you have clothes on your back and you have breath in your lungs, you have something to manage. Today, The truth is this, most of us have more resources than we think we have. And if we will be faithful with those little things, if we won't say, God, when you give me more, I'll manage it right. If we say, I'll do the very best I can with what you've given me right now, with an eye towards growth, I trust you that there will be growth in my life. You'll give me more to manage. And here's the truth, honesty paves the way. Jesus says this, if you're dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest in the greater responsibilities. So we have to be honest with what we're doing right now with the resources that God has given us right now. Honest in our giving, honest in our tithe, honest with what we think about the resources that he's he's given us. I mean, like, seriously, even to the little things, like how many of us spend that little extra and we're like, "I, I really don't want to tell my spouse about that. Like, just something stupid or small. Right? If we want to be entrusted with more, Let's be honest about what we do, transparent, willing to be seen for how we spend our money. We talked about that the first week when we went over this. Some of us would be embarrassed to look at our spending, but the truth is this. If we're honest before the Lord, those things will actually grow in importance, and honesty paves the way. God has given us worldly wealth, but he's, he's talk, this is a, a microcosm of true riches, right? Here's what he says. He says, and if you're untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? See, it's not about the money. It's about the true riches of heaven. God is looking for us to be about his business so we can store up stuff that matters. So the reality is this. We have been given other people's things. He says this. If you're not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with the things of your own? The bottom line is everything we have is God's. 
There's, there's really no wiggle room around that. And we're all very cool with that until God says, hey, would you consider giving me some of that back to use for my kingdom? And he starts with a tithe. Starts with a tithe. Would you, hey, 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 would you be willing to recognize my ownership of it all by surrendering and giving back to me a tenth of what you get? And we're like, some of us have gotten to the place where we're cool with that. And I challenge you, uh, I think Pastor Ivy said this on Sunday, he does this with his, like, or maybe during the conference, just start. Give, give 10%. Don't start at nine, don't start at two, or like, if you, if you commit to do this, and you do it, and, you, and you're not better off in six months, come and see me. Remember, be honest, right? Don't hold back. But I guarantee you, no one's ever come back. No one's ever asked for it back. If you will trust the Lord as the owner of everything, he will bless you with more. The truth is we are managers in his world. Each one of us as human beings, have been, we bear the image of God and have been called into the earth to be managers. Some of us have a, a lot to manage. Some of us have a little bit to manage. Some of us have great wealth and authority. Some of us have a little bit. But the truth is, all of us are managers. We are managers not just of his world, but we're managers of his kingdom. We have a king who has a plan, who has a purpose, who wants to see us blessed so that we can affect his kingdom. So here's the conclusion. We're going we're gonna to end early tonight. How's that sound? If the, if the worship team wants to come. Here's the conclusion. Jesus says this. He says, no one can serve two masters. For you'll hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What we do with this actually matters. In fact, the Pharisees who were listening to what he was saying to his disciples, they scoff at it. They don't like it. It doesn't make sense to them. This isn't what they think. And the reason why is that they loved money. But what Jesus says right after this is that it is an eternal principle. You cannot get away from this. He literally says to them, listen, it's not that I'm coming and saying a bunch of new stuff. He's saying this has been all the way through, right from, right from Moses, right from the law, and you can't erase it. And then he gives an example. He's like, just like you can't erase, in, this is verse 18, for example, a man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, and anyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. He's saying, listen, that's an eternal principle. That was a principle in my word. It still remains a principle in my word. He was speaking to Pharisees who understood principles, who understood the rules. He's like, just as much as that's important to you, this is important to God. Just as much as that you understand is God's eternal understanding of the way the world works. I'm telling you, this is the way the world works, Jesus says. And then he, then he, 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 he shares this really interesting parable. Remember, context is everything. First he talks about the lost son, then he teaches us through this thing. He gives us the lessons, and then he says this. Look at verse 19. He said, Jesus said there was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. This is a man who had it all. He had the worldly resources. And he used them for himself. Purple was a very expensive 
cloth because of what it took to get that color. It was royal, it was regal. It was like, it was like high fashion of the day to have anything purple. And fine linen. Has anybody ever worn any coarse linen garments? They're not very comfortable. But fine linen can be very comfortable. And he said he lived in luxury every day. But at his gate laid a poor man named Lazarus who was covered with sores. And as Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from the rich man's table, the dogs would come and lick his open sores. This, this rich man did not understand that God had given him resources to affect the purposes of even his own destiny. And it said, finally, the poor man died, was carried by the angels to be with Abraham, and the rich man died also, and he was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead. They were separated. And in torment, the rich man saw Abraham in the far distance and Lazarus at his side. In other words, it's about faith. The father of our faith is with the man who had faith, and the man who had stuff was not in the place of the men who had faith. And the rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I am in anguish in these flames. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. So now he's here being comforted and you are in anguish. And beside, there's a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here and no one can cross over to us from here. He's saying, listen, you understand what I just said about eternity is a fact. It's a reality. And this, this man didn't choose to use his worldly resources for influence to affect eternity. And it didn't necessarily so much affect Lazarus, the poor man, but it affected his eternity. And then the rich man said, please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's home for I have five brothers and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. Would somebody please tell them how to view this, the riches but Abraham said, Moses and the prophets had warned them, and your brothers can read what they wrote. And then the rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent to them from the dead, then they'll repent of their sins and they'll turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't even listen to someone who rises from the dead. Listen, we have someone who rose from the dead. Who in his goodness and in his love and in his mercy comes to us and says, Listen, I want to shift your understanding about resources and money. I want to shift them to an eternal perspective that will matter for you and for those around you. So will we shift with God today? Here's, listen, tonight, let's just not wait to act on this. Here's how I want to end tonight. Not with an altar call, but with a, a call to the altar of our hearts. To just, dis, to, to make a decision to say, God, I'm going to take you at your word. Listen, Jesus doesn't demand we get it all right right away. He says, be faithful in the little stuff. He's here by his grace and mercy to challenge us tonight. But he's saying, would you just make a decision that it all belongs to me and that we're going to start with something. We're going to start with what, what you have right now. Make a change. Make a small decision and understand that it's going to grow, but make a plan. Make a plan. Would you bow your heads for a minute and just talk to Jesus? Just talk to Jesus. Say, God, what, like literally ask him, what's in my hand right now? What resources have you given me? Time and, and money and giftings.
But, but don't cop out by saying, okay, I'll give some time or I'll give my gifts to people. Those are important. Understand this. But Jesus literally was talking about worldly resources, about money. And by the grace of God, because of his grace in this place tonight, not because a preacher is telling you that they, we need to raise a bunch of money for the church, but just because God wants to bless you, would you, would you hear what he's saying See the resources that are in your hand and make a decision to put them in his hands. And when you've made that decision, ask him, how do you want me to do that? Who do you want me to give it to? You want me to put it in the offering? I encourage you, if you're not tithing, start there. Is there somebody in my life that I know needs a blessing and I have the resources to do something about it? or some of the resources and I can partner with some other people and we can make a difference in that person's life? Is there somebody that you've been ignoring? You know that there's a need in your life and you know that you can win influence with them. You could take them out to lunch. You could buy their lunch and you could change their eternity. I mean, that's not even a hard one because you get lunch too. But ask the Lord, Lord, who is it that you want me to chase after who is where is it that you want me to put these resources that you give me don't just make it yes god you own it all but make a plan make a commitment in your heart this is not me telling you what to do this is jesus coming and saying this is what you got this is who i want you to apply to and just say yes and decide when you're going to do that and how you're going to do that let's make a commitment to him tonight jesus you're so gracious to speak to our hearts You're so gracious to challenge the way that we think. You're so gracious to be the one that chases after our heart even when we we forget you. Even when we're outside pouting. You chase us down. You chase us down. You chase us down to pour out your grace in our lives pour out your mercy in our lives, to build the kingdom in our lives. And so we say yes to you in this plan. In Jesus' name. want to pray for you and dismiss you. Um, the team's going to be leading us in a song. If you all would just stand so I can pray. And then you're, you're free to stay in worship. You're free to pray with someone tonight, to be prayed with. Uh, there'll be ushers in the back to give. Uh, one of the ways that you can actually start this is um, there was a cyclone that hit Bangladesh and India on Sunday, I believe it was. It was over the weekend. And um, we have reports from one of our partners in the region that people there are eating whatever they can find, but it's not fit for food. And so some people have lost their homes and some people have lost the ability to eat. This is literally an opportunity for us to put our money where our mouth is and affect people's eternity as we give it to those who know Jesus who can share it with others. And so if you want to give towards that, uh, pull out. I think we still have envelopes. Do we still have envelopes? Am I right? I think we still have envelopes. Can somebody tell me if we still have envelopes? Okay, good. We go all digital, but yeah. And you can put that in there or make a note. This is where it's going. We'll also receive an offering on Sunday for this as well. Let me pray for you. Father, 
I pray for your people, for myself included, that we would walk in the reality that you have it all. It's all yours. It all belongs to you. And we'd walk in the freedom that that brings to our lives. That you'd make us free. You'd cause us to be free, to use the resources that you've given us to affect the kingdom and affect eternity. That we would be generous because our dad is generous. That we'd be joyfully generous because our dad is joyfully generous. You've been so joyfully generous with us. I bless your people to go and to make and win friends and influence for the kingdom. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Glory to God, the high.